Hello and welcome back to the Sneem Medic. So this is episode 8 and I have four days till the exam now and today we'll be going over 10 cases on pharmacology and medicine from past med. Okay so for case 1 we have a 33 year old female who presented with migraines that occur once or twice a week. So you started her on prophylactic migraine treatment and now she only has them once a month. She's also found out that she's now pregnant and is worried about her child having a birth defect. The question is which medication is used in migraine prophylaxis and linked to congenital abnormalities? Your answer here would be topiramate. This can cause a cleft lip when used in the first trimester and therefore propranolol should be used in females of childbearing age. Triptans are also to be avoided during pregnancy but they are used for the acute management of migraines. Okay, so next we have case two with a 74-year-old female presenting with extreme fatigue, pallor and reduced mobility. She has past medical history of angiodysplasia, which is a small vascular malformation of the gut causing GI bleeding and anemia. She's also been passing black stools for the past few weeks, but her most recent bowel movements have been normal. You do some bloods and find that she has a low HB of 74, low MCV, low platelet count of 120 and her white blood cells are within range. You also do some obs and find that her blood pressure and heart rate are normal since being admitted 12 hours ago. So the question is how do you manage this patient? And your answer would be to give oral iron. This is because the patient has microcytic anemia due to iron deficiency secondary to the chronic bleeding from bowel lesions due to angiodysplasia. There are two other options to consider, which is the transfusion of red blood cells. However, this patient does not have an acute coronary syndrome, so her threshold is a HB of 70, where she has an HB of 74. She is also hemodynamically stable, which does not indicate for a blood transfusion. The second factor is a transfusion of platelets, however, the threshold is a platelet count of under 30, but this patient has a platelet count of 120. Therefore, her line of management remains oral iron. Okay, so next we have case 3 for the 72-year-old male with past medical history of heart failure and type 2 diabetes. He is currently taking furosemide 40mg once daily, ramipril 10mg once daily and bisoprolol 5mg once daily. You do a clinical examination and find that it is unremarkable with no peripheral edema, a clear chest and a blood pressure of 130 over 76. His recent LFTs and renal function tests were also normal. The question is which medication would be contraindicated in this case and your answer here is pioglitazone this is a thiazolidine dione which is contraindicated in heart failure due to a side effect of fluid retention some other side effects of thiazolidine dions are weight gain increased risk of fractures increased risk of liver impairment and an increased risk of bladder cancer okay so the next three cases will be on chest pain and for case four, we have a 31-year-old female with a four-week history of retrosternal burning pain, worse after eating. She has a past medical history of depression and also uses a combined oral contraceptive pill. You do a clinical examination which is unremarkable and the question is what is the most likely diagnosis? Your answer here would be gastroesophageal reflux disease. Okay, so for case five, we have a 25-year-old male presenting with intermittent central chest pain for the last four weeks. He has a past medical history of a pylonidal abscess removal nine months ago. The pain is heavy and is associated with tingling in the lips and fingers. The episodes happen at rest and last several minutes. So again, the question is, what is the most likely diagnosis? And here, this would be anxiety. Okay, next. 
For case 6, we have a 44-year-old male presenting with central severe chest pain for the last hour. There is no radiation or shortness of breath, and he has had similar fleeting pains for the last two weeks, which settle spontaneously. You do some OBS and find a heart rate of 84, blood pressure of 134 over 82, and a rest rate of 18. Again, the question is, what is your most likely diagnosis? And here, your answer would be an MI. This is due to the location, severity, and nature of the pain, indicating myocardial ischemia. Okay, so next for case 7, we have a 41-year-old male who was in a road traffic accident and has had a complete spinal cord injury at level C6. He now presents with a heart rate of 58 and a blood pressure of 198 over 41. His face is flushed, but there is a marked transition to being pale at his shoulders. He is also panicked and has a headache. The question is, what is the cause of the hypertension? And your answer here is autonomic dysreflexia. This is seen in patients with a spinal cord injury above T6, and the hallmark symptoms are severe hypertension and sweating or flushing above the level of the injury. We should also note the heart rate of 58, indicating reflex bradycardia to increase the vagal tone in response to the hypertension detected by the carotid sinus baroreceptors. Okay, so next for case 8, we have a really good neuro case with a 25-year-old male who was really sadly stabbed in the back with a kitchen knife. You do a full neuro examination and find he has loss of pain and temperature on the right-hand side and weakness and loss of light touch on the left-hand side. The question is, what is the most likely diagnosis? And your answer here is Brown-Saccard syndrome. So the hallmark symptoms are unilateral paralysis, which here is on the left-hand side where the spinal cord is damaged, and contralateral loss of pain and temperature for this patient on the right-hand side. Okay, so what happens? You have the hemisection of a cord damaging three tracts. Number one is the lateral corticospinal tract, giving you ipsilateral paresis below the region of injury. Two is the lateral spinothalamic tract, giving you contralateral loss of pain and temperature. And three are the dorsal columns, giving you ipsilateral loss of proprioception and vibration. Okay, so for case 9, we have a case of an NSTEMI, where the patient is being managed with a stat dose of aspirin, 300 milligrams, and two puffs of a GTN spray. The question is, following recent NICE guidelines, which patients should receive clopidogrel? And your answer here is all patients. In 2013, NICE updated their guidelines to indicate that risk scores are no longer required to determine if clopidogrel is given. Also, in the future, ticagrelor may be preferred over clopidogrel due to the PLATO trial results showing improved survival with ticagrelor over clopidogrel. Okay, so the last case for today is case 10, and we have a 76-year-old male with a past medical history of ischemic heart disease and hypertension. He had an MI 20 years ago, but has had no problems since. He is currently taking clopidogrel, atavastatin, ramipril, and bisoprolol and is presenting with recently feeling light-headed. You do an ECG and find he is in AF. So the question is, which antithrombotic medication should he be taking? And your answer here would be an oral anticoagulant. So this is a case of stable cardiovascular disease with an AF. Therefore, the antiplatelet clopidogrel should be stopped and switched to an anticoagulant such as a pixaban. So I hope this has been helpful, and thank you again for listening. Bye!